0: Hello Los Angeles friends, this is your last chance to get your tickets for the very first Mea Culpa Live, tomorrow, Tuesday, November 1st, 7pm, at the El Rey Theater in Los Angeles. Come hang out with Michael and the hilarious Kathy Griffin, Harry Lippmann, former Deputy Attorney General, and former Oath Keepers National Spokesman Jason Van Tatenhove. It's going to be an amazing night. Really, you don't want to miss it. So go get your tickets right now at thelray.com or grab a link on any of Michael's social handles or in this episode description. Now, on with the show.
1: This is my may Oh, baby, don't
0: lie for me. If I tell you my story, don't cry.
1: This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa podcast. There are other things to worry about other than the midterms. I mean, kind of, sort of. We're having the worst flu season in well over a decade. School kids are two years behind in math and English due to the pandemic. There's Ukraine. I mean, you could always worry about Ukraine. And then, of course, there's Elon Musk's official takeover of Twitter and his accompanying tweet. Let the good times roll. Not sure if he meant that to be funny, but ironically, we may see the return of Trump to Twitter Monday just a week and change before the midterms. So I guess the joke is on us. And the chief twit, as Musk now refers to himself, is just getting started.
2: One day before he's expected to officially take over
1: Twitter, Elon Musk walked back his previous promise to remove most moderation on the
0: site reassuring advertisers that it would not become a free-for-all hellscape where anything can be said with no consequences. Musk also visited Twitter's offices carrying a kitchen sink, tweeting, Entering Twitter HQ, let that sink in.
3: Oh,
1: oh, get it? Get it? Let that sink in. I know a lot of people think that was corny, but I think once you have 87 children, you're allowed to make dad jokes. (laughs) You can do it. It's fun. Let that sink in. But back to the midterms, folks. As the rhetoric ramps up and the lies take on lives of their own, crazy and afraid people have decided to take matters into their own hands. Is it a coincidence that at this juncture, in a very contentious election season, that Arizona's Secretary of State Katie Hobbs had her election offices burglarized? or that Paul Pelosi, the 82-year-old husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, was tied up and attacked with a hammer in his own home. Political violence and intimidation, menace, has been cultivated and encouraged by the ex-president for years to his followers. And that threat of violence has been specifically directed at Nancy Pelosi for years now. She has been the target of the most radicalized members of the Trump movement, who stalked the halls of the Capitol looking for her on January 6th, banging on her office doors, yelling out the very same phrase the intruder in Pelosi's home said this morning. Where are you, Nancy? We're looking for you. I mean, think about that, attacked in his own home with a hammer by a fucking lunatic screaming, where's Nancy? The assailant is in custody, and according to his social media accounts, he is, of course, a conspiracy-loving MAGA Republican. I mean, no surprise there. Paul Pelosi underwent emergency brain surgery on Friday, and the assailant is being charged with attempted murder. But I ask you folks, what the actual fuck have we come to?
3: Why this home wasn't better protected is kind of beyond me. I mean, in light of the status of uh, he's married to, what, the second person in line for the presidency, seems like Pelosi needs to reevaluate um, and especially uh, her uh, uh, security, especially in a violent city of San Francisco. I've spent a lot of time up in San Francisco, and it is violent. It is imperative, also, that we don't make this a partisan issue. This happens to members of Congress, of all parties, Supreme Court justices, and even um, people in my family, I mean, living in the celebrity world. I mean, I've received hundreds of death threats, publicly, privately, every day, all the time, and especially... (laughs) Actually,
1: after I joined Fox News, it only got worse. The perception that crime is getting worse is being stoked by Republicans who falsely accuse Democrats of running crime-infested cities and wanting to defund the police. We don't. Same old song and dance. But crime is not getting worse. Random violence is getting worse. Violence that is often fueled by conspiracies and lies, like the election was stolen and that Nancy Pelosi eats babies. Speaking of gourds, Kanye West is totally out of his. <laughs> Yesterday, Ye lost a $1.5 billion deal he had with Adidas. Adidas that. Then, so today, I don't know if you saw that he showed up unannounced and uninvited at the corporate headquarters for Skechers in Manhattan Beach. Skechers, which his ex-wife Kim did commercials for, is owned by the Greenberg family, so they threw him right out. They would said, and put out a statement denouncing him. Ironically, this is not a joke, before he barged into Skechers, he stopped at the bagel shop next door. Now, he shouldn't be allowed to eat bagels anymore, right? I mean, at the very least. It gives me no pleasure to watch Kanye West, or Ye, as he prefers to be called, completely implode. He has destroyed himself and his empire. And along with it, he has inspired Nazis and anti-Semites everywhere to come out of hiding and throw up all over us. With their ridiculous Nazi salutes and Jews shall not replace us chants. But all this hatred and violent behavior stems from the same insidious place. Fear. And when mentally ill people bend or break under the weight of their fears, terrible things are bound to happen. Do
3: you know how it feels to have the president of the United States to target you? The committee investigating the January 6th attack turned its attention to the harassment election workers faced by President Donald Trump and his supporters as they attempted to pressure them to overturn the election. Among them, former Georgia State election worker Wandrea R. Shea Moss and her mother, Lady Ruby Freeman, were falsely accused by name of voter fraud by Trump and his attorney, Rudy Giuliani.
1: Death threats have become commonplace for Secretary of State Katie Hobbs since she called the election for Biden in 2020. Her opponent in the Arizona governor's race, Carrie Lake, has flooded the landscape with lies about how Trump was robbed of his rightful election victory, even though the cyber ninjas, a now defunct Republican operation, confirmed that he fucking lost. After two recounts. But those sham recounts didn't come cheap. In fact, they cost a combined $5.7 million paid for in part by not-for-profit groups run by wait for it christina bob Sidney powell michael flynn and the overstock guy those same not-for-profits are gearing up to run recounts again and let's not forget carrie lake has already said she won't concede if she loses in my view she is the most dangerous candidate in america today and one of the reasons she's so dangerous is the cynical opportunistic and yet successful way that she has become a rising star of the MAGA far right. Because before she entered the Republican primary for governor, before she spread COVID-19 misinformation, before she boosted Trump's big lie, before all of that, Carrie Lake was a democrat for nearly two years Carrie Lake and her allies have been spreading dangerous misinformation and now radical Republicans camped out in front of drop boxes are attempting to subvert the vote it's an outright attack on Arizonans' constitutional rights but where is the Republican outrage if voter rights and getting the count right is so important to them voter intimidation should drive them absolutely fucking nuts Instead, late Friday, a federal judge rejected a request by a retiree's association that he issue a temporary restraining order targeted at nefarious conduct outside of Arizona Dropbox locations that some voters have described as intimidating. The same goes for Republicans on anti-Semitism. I mean, where is their fucking outrage? Moreover, where is their concern for their fellow citizens? The dismantling of our free and fair elections and anti-semitism have something in common. It's how authoritarian regimes get a foothold and destroy democracy. It's happening right here, right now. Let's not be naive or Pollyanna about it. And Republicans who stay silent and normalize this fucking shit are equally liable. Since 2021, violent incidents and attacks on Jews have increased by 34%, making Jewish people some of the most vulnerable targets in our society. I do not underestimate what the triple toxicity politically of those three can do. (laughs) I hope there are cameras and microphones because you put
2: those three together and they could say anything, Rana.
0: Well, maybe they can get a full sentence out. I, um, I think John Fetterman uh, drew the short straw on that one, right? I think all yes. he got together and said, which one of us has to campaign with Biden? And yes, he,
1: the he short said, I've, I've lost, so bring him up here. I'm done. I'm toast. i put some butter <laughs> on it.
0: So, uh, so Biden said, between the two of us, we may be able to finish a full sentence.
1: Well, maybe if they can get a full sentence out, that's what dear Ronna McDaniel, the Republican National Committee chairwoman, said of Biden and Fetterman while being interviewed by conservative talk show shill Hugh Hewitt. McDaniel mocked the speaking abilities of both Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, the Pennsylvania Democratic Senate candidate who was recovering from a stroke, and President Biden as well, who grew up with a stutter all in one fell swoop. Maga sure do love a mean girl, I'll tell
2: you that. And the American people better wake up because they're talking the talk right now, but they have not walked the walk.
1: And while I don't want to waste another minute on Herschel Walker, this is actually interesting. A Mother Jones reporter visited Herschel Walker's hometown of Wrightsville, Georgia, where the average income is $26,000 and the main attraction is a Confederate memorial. Of all the residents willing to talk, half hated Walker's candidacy. The other half, who supported him, no doubt, were all white. And that pretty much tells you all you need to know about this race. Or should I say the racist agenda of this race? And so what we have to know is that, you know, Herschel Walker, to the point that was just made, um, is still gonna have the support of Republicans all around. And so you really have to turn out your base. Hopefully there are a few women out there that are appalled enough by what's going on um, to switch their votes or to not vote for Republicans or be less enthusiastic, but you can't count
3: on that because among other things, women, particularly white women, turn out for uh, Donald Trump, regardless of what he said and done, and turned on Hillary, where if uh, a man with those qualifications as Hillary had, and, and perhaps the edges is a little less popular, would still have beaten Trump
1: by a landslide. Walker's hometown has been plagued by segregation. Hell, until 2003, the prom at his high school was segregated. But Walker never got involved, saying, and I quote, I never really liked the idea that I was supposed to represent my people. So, Walker is part of the problem. He's not the solution.
0: You all look and sound like you're ready to win an election. I want, first of all,
2: just to say thank you.
0: Thank you. I love you back.
1: (laughs) Then there's Raphael Warnock, on the other hand, a pillar of the community. Warnock has also been a very effective senator for Georgia, who should be able to run on his record alone. But it's because he has been so successful that he poses a threat to a majority of white conservative voters. You gotta wonder what Dr. King would have to say about this race. One man is a pastor in King's church and the other would just as soon burn it down. So goodbye civil rights. You were great while you lasted.
2: The fact that Raphael Warnock even has to compete with Herschel Walker for the Georgia Senate tells you all you need to know about politics in 2022. Politics is no longer about policy and leadership. It's not about character or ability. The Republican Party has completely abandoned every part of governing for winning. They don't care if their candidates are criminals, pedophiles, anti-Semites, white supremacists, or literally incapable of stringing a sentence together. They don't have solutions or better ideas. They don't have the majority will of the people or a better direction to take the country. What they have is a system that was built to privilege them, rules that have been rewritten to favor them, and a plan for the country that puts them in power indefinitely. With the Electoral College, the Senate, the filibuster, campaign finance laws, lack of voter protection in combination with their bought and paid for Supreme Court, the Republicans have realized that they don't need leaders. They need votes in Congress. They don't need representatives. They need a mindless army, cannon fodder, distraction for the masses. Leadership will make the decisions the donors want the foot soldiers will fall in line, the Supreme Court will make sure things go their way, and the people will be forgotten.
1: But remember, Georgia is Marjorie Taylor Green country, and despite the fact that she has done nothing, fucking zip nada for her state, it has only served to make her more popular. Ow, why? It's hard to fight the sort of ignorance that sees candidates like Walker, fake Dr. Oz, Maga Mastriano, and Large Marge as viable. But for Republicans, it's clearly not about leadership anymore. It's just about power.
3: He really put the presidency in moral freefall. Uh, the tape you just played
1: here, I'm just asking uh, the obvious question. There's white privilege. Trump represents it. I represent it, that we've got to understand the pain and anger of others. But. He
3: just comes back, oh, you drank the Kool-Aid, you drank the Kool-Aid. I mean, what an insulting statement to me
1: and uh, to black people and people who wanted Uh, people who want some sort of engagement on racial justice. I'm happy to report one small bit of justice that occurred this week. The Capitol rioter who attacked officer Michael Fanone on January 6th was sentenced to seven years in jail. Fanone has emerged as an outspoken advocate for the Capitol Police and has done what we should all be doing, which is calling out the lies as they happen. Not for a minute has Fanon let us forget that it was Trump's people who attacked the Capitol. The things that I was asking for in these conversations, um, most likely I would be given a very different response privately uh, than they might say publicly. And so I wanted to make sure that the record uh, reflected the the conversations that they had uh, and that they could be held accountable if they decided to... um, say something different in public, which all of them have. On that horrific day, the individual who attacked Fanon screamed into the crowd, and I'm gonna quote, I got one as he dragged him down the Capitol steps. Fanon was zapped with a stun gun as the mob converged on him, kicking and beating him. They tried to strip him of his clothes and kill him with his own service weapon. Again, I ask, where is the outrage from Republicans? I mean, are they so fucking busy denying the truth about January 6th that they forgot that they were supposed to be the party of law and order? Well, seven years, that's what that mogul would be cop killer got, seven years. Now, how's that for law and order? (laughs) And now for the main event. Today we welcome back to the show my good friend Norm Eisen. There's pretty much nothing going on in politics today that he doesn't have an opinion about. His recent book, Overcoming Trumpery, is a great read, especially as we get into the midterms and watch Republican candidates try to mimic Trumpian tactics to get elected. Eisen is a CNN Legal Analyst and the Founder and Executive Chair of States United Democracy Center, a nonpartisan organization advancing free, fair and secure elections. Eisen served as Special Counsel to President Barack Obama on ethics and government reform. In that role, he was dubbed Mr. No and the Ethics Czar because he's well known for his tough anti-corruption approach to governance. Eisen is also active with the Brookings Institute and other groups working to expose the myriad of ways Trump and his cronies broke the law and attempted to overturn the 2020 election. Eisen is also working with the Brookings Institute to help Ukraine recover and progress now and hopefully post Putin's war. As we always say, Eisen is a witness to history. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so my friend Norm, It's election season, and it's election season like we've never seen before. There's voter suppression. It's rampant all over. Voter police in Florida are rounding up and arresting people. I mean, there are armed folks in Arizona hanging out on lawn chairs, intimidating other voters. What effect will all of these measures have? And will voters be scared away from the polls? Michael...
3: Thank you for having me back, and I want to send a strong message that voters should not feel frightened, uh, scared, intimidated by these um, these isolated episodes. Don't get me wrong, and we'll talk about this. We're going to get into these uh, Looney Tune costume dress up, unfortunately, armed uh, observers who've popped up here and there around drop boxes but they've been slammed with litigation Uh, the uh, Florida election police um, have prosecuted some returning citizens, as we put it. These are former felons who've had their rights restored in Florida. Um, There's uh, the first of those cases has just been thrown out by a court. There's major pushback. So uh, if... To everybody who's listening, and we know that's a lot of people, it's safe to vote. You won't get in trouble if you vote. Um, There are a lot of people out here standing behind the right to vote. uh, And we need you to vote. That is this election is a uh, referendum on our democracy. Nobody or democracy or trumpery. Which way are we going to go? And nobody has warned more about the dangers of the second route uh, than uh, my friend Michael Cohen. So everybody needs to turn out for that referendum, irrespective of party. It's not a partisan thing. We need people to vote for democracy.
1: Yeah, look, we have a real problem. And let's just use Arizona, because that's the one that seems to have gotten the most attention with Individuals dressed up in paramilitary gear, holding rifles, AR-15s and so on. You even have Carrie Lake, who's running for governor, who turns around and says, in advance of the election, she's pulling a trumpery, as you like to call it. If in fact she loses, she will not concede because clearly the election was stolen. And now you have these folks that are camping out on lawn chairs. And they're, even though this one in Maricopa County, let's say it was two people, and that there are dozens of complaints that have been lodged with the police, it's not just only those two. There's a lot of intimidation going on.
3: No, that 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 is true. There are episodes around the country, but those are being met with force. Michael, you know, no sooner did these Arizona let's let's separate out the different categories. So there's the uh, you know the dress up um, uh, the dress up soldiers in uh, Arizona who popped up here and there. No sooner did they start those shenanigans uh, than uh, my friend, the great. Uh, election litigator Mark Elias slapped them with a lawsuit. There's recourse for people uh, when these kinds of things pop up. Now, I'm here just talking in my personal capacity. Just Norm, the, uh, the citizen and the voter, I'm going to say what I think. Um, the... Um, the uh, behavior of these uh, election denying candidates, and it's not just one. There's hundreds of them from coast to coast. The behavior of the election denying candidates who say uh, it's only I'll only recognize the outcome if I win. Uh, that's reprehensible. That's why people need to pay attention, and they in this. In a nonpartisan way, they need to understand what's on the ballot this season. Democracy versus Trumpery. Again, that's just me, my personal capacity, my personal
1: views. You know, when I saw this happening with these armed vigilantes outside of the poll booths and trying to intimidate, it reminded me so much of the movie uh, Gangs of New York. Remember that? Where Daniel (laughs) Day-Lewis plays, I would say, William the Butcher (laughs) Cutting, right? And on behalf of Boss Tweed, they're like, oh, you only voted (laughs) once? Get back in there and vote again. As they hit him in the head with a slapjack, right? (laughs) Or, you know, who did you vote for? And then they, who are you going to vote for? And then he said, well, I'm going to vote for this guy. And they're like, Oh no, he's not, get him out of here. And so that's what it reminds me of. Yeah. I mean, this isn't an election. This is a this is a farce. You know, when you have a party and the GOP, they're not they're not making any statements that tell people stop doing this, right? That this yeah, isn't no. good for a democracy. They they've been silent as to this entire issue. And that in and of itself should be an indictment upon the party. Uh,
3: well, um, unfortunately, you'll remember uh, that the uh, uh, in Gangs of New York, there was the uh, uh, Protestant Confederation of American Natives. That was uh, Bill the Butcher's gang. Uh, uh, and then there were the Immigrant Dead Rabbits, Fortunately, uh, the uh, the uh, champions of democracy in this cycle in this cycle are far from dead rabbits. Okay, democracy and its advocates are fighting back um, in in uh, in court, uh, in the court of public opinion by talking about the issues. Um, the uh, press, thankfully, is not a treating election denialism as if, oh, you know, the, well, the Republicans say Trump didn't win the election, and the the, uh, the Republicans say Trump actually won. The Democrats say Biden won. No, the pre- even the press calls it a conspiracy theory, election denial. So we know the American people care about democracy. And I think folks need to get out and vote as if our democracy were on the ballot, because it is, Michael, if the followers of Trump, if his acolytes are able to occupy these election offices, they um, will represent a threat to our democracy. So folks need to uh, keep that in mind. And again, just me, it's just Norm's personal views. Uh, they need to uh, uh, they need to uh, uh, exercise their franchise, irrespective of party. I mean
1: could you imagine how could you not be angered the fact that something as routine as an election has now gone so off the rails that there are conspiracy theories before the election even takes place. You have. Activists preventing people from voting the way they want. There's already questions as to the number of mail in ballots that will or will not be counted because there are new individuals that are in charge of this. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky
0: just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
2: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps)
1: During the 2020 election, it was the courts that saved democracy. This time around, it's kind of like anyone's guess, right? What if any measures have been taken to ensure that we have a free and fair election? I mean, are we ready for MAGA shenanigans and the, you know, we'll call it the Steve Bannon precinct strategy? And then how about election deniers, like I said with Carrie Lake, who lose their races? Are there guardrails in place, if at all, if, you know, if, when, if things go wrong?
3: We made it through the 2020 election when you had the election denier in chief, the number one election denier in the White House with all the power of the presidency. So I think the same um tools and structures that got us through 2020 successfully. As you point out, the courts played a role, but it wasn't only the courts. It was election officials, election officials of both parties, even those of Trump's own party who stood up to him. In Georgia, look, he's still furious at Kemp and Raffensperger. And yet the amazing thing, Michael, they both survived their primaries. So that, by and large, this is the first cycle in which the Trump-following election deniers have tried to get in. Uh, I don't think they're going to be so successful in doing that. And here's why. Let me tell you the guardrails. Number one, there's the, there's the Constitution. When people try truly outrageous, if some, you know, some uh, partisan governor wants to recognize one of these election deniers who didn't actually win, Uh, the Constitution, the laws, and as you point out, the courts uh, do not allow that. Second, um, I do think having lived through 2020, the press is much more vigilant. You know, Michael, when you warned me that Donald Trump would not leave the White House uh, without a fight, (laughs) as you said, he'd never leave without being forced out. I don't uh, you were one of the first people to get me to focus. Uh, this, was, uh, this, th- this was way before um, the impeachment. This was in the beginning of uh, 2019. So you were almost two years ahead of the curve. And then through the impeachment, I saw the kind of person he was. I re- reprinted your warning in my book on the impeachment now we've all we've been through it once so people have their guard up and I think you know we're really going to count on the voters I think the vast majority of Americans reject this election denial idea that Trump won Trump actually won in 2020 uh, and the implications of that if you'll embrace a baseless claim like that in a past election what might you do in a future election i think the american people aren't going to like that so ultimately yes the constitution the laws judges elections officials to do the right thing and ultimately the american
1: people are going to have to do the right thing that's what we hope getting stuck in black friday crowds super uncomfortable shopping tommy john's before black friday sale super duper comfortable When you give your loved ones Tommy John, they're that much more comfortable, so they can do everything better. Shop Tommy John's Before Black Friday sale now and give the gift of comfort to everyone on your list, including yourself with Tommy John Men's and Women's Loungewear. With over 18 million pairs sold, giving Tommy John underwear and loungewear has become a holiday tradition. 97% 97% of women and men love getting a gift from Tommy John. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers, they have fanatics. I mean, personally, I love wearing my Tommy John relaxed fit boxers because they're so comfy. So you should get Tommy John too. Celebrate softness season with a gift of Tommy John underwear, loungewear, and pajamas. Every gift back by Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear, or it's free guarantee. So go now and shop Tommy John's before Black Friday sale going on right now, and get 25% off everything at TommyJohn.com/cohen. That's 25% off for a limited time only at TommyJohn.com/cohen. TommyJohn.com/cohen. See site for details.
0: Hello, I'm Danny Trejo, star of Dia de los Muertos in Hell, a one-of-a-kind horror comedy musical podcast.
1: Now, of course, me being more the pessimist than you as the ultimate, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> optimist here, Yeah. I see it a little bit different. Yeah. So I saw, for example, a Politico morning consult poll. And in that poll, it shows... A majority of Americans, and this is in support of what you say, support altering the way Congress certifies elections to make it more difficult to override presidential election yeah. results. That's the okay. good news. That's great. That's the good news. That's great news. Here's the bad news onto it, right? It's only 52% of the respondents, right, say that they support this legislation. 52% of the of the 100 so you got 52% there 22% are opposed to that notion and I'm sorry 26% are opposed to that notion and then 22% have no opinion little what you have no opinion you have no opinion whether or not that when they call the election that the system works <laughs> that you, it shouldn't be you shouldn't that uh, the loser shouldn't be capable of trying to overturn an election. I mean, when you have only fifty two, fifty three percent of the respondents in agreement, that's a real problem. You At know, least the it's numbers, a problem the way I see it.
3: Yes, the, but I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't um, overread into one particular poll or into polls generally. Uh, You know, on the one particular poll point, Michael, remember that uh, uh, just a few weeks back, we got that uh, NBC News poll when they asked Americans to rank what was the most important issue. You remember the number one issue, Mm -hmm. democracy,
1: number one issue, you know,
3: depending on how the poll questions are phrased, uh, uh, depending on whether the poll respondents are really listening what else is going on in the world that day? Uh, do they understand? Do people understand? Maybe some of the people who answered that question thought that it was a pro-Trump question, that we were trying to weaken Trump's ability. So, you know, I you don't know.
1: Norm, do- I got to be honest with you. That poll didn't have democracy as number one. It actually had the economy no. as number one, which is News also scary.
3: The NBC News poll had democracy as num- the number one issue. Now, yes, most other polls, you're right. The economy has come uh, back into the fore. You know, gas prices, uh, other economic factors were moderating over the summer. There's some counter trends now. Uh, but, Michael, we should all, we've learned over the years, you can't, you know, these polls can be misleading, right? They can surprise you both directions. I think people should uh should vote as if their uh, democracy depends on it because it does. So uh, don't, you know, the the, the I'm not dis- dissuaded in any way. I hear your realism. It's not pessimism, it's realism. Uh but I think that uh that the American people uh are capable certainly of pushing back on some of the worst and you'll some of these election deniers will make it through but you know some of the worst of them are running way behind michael way behind the republican party so we need to study that data when the election is over and even if a few make it through here and there if they underperform then that will tell us that the american people don't like denialism if regular republicans as was said in the uh one six hearing team normal outperform Team Crazy, uh, that will be sending us an important message, regardless of how Democrats fare overall.
1: Yeah, well, look, Democrats have to fare well, because you know, as a guy who was involved in the impeachment of the former guy, it was the first or the second impeachment? The first, right?
3: Uh, It was the first impeachment.
1: Yeah. So the first impeachment, you know. That the Republicans, if they take the House and the Senate, we know what's going to happen from day one. They'll file articles of impeachment against both Biden and Kamala on day number one. And the danger that exists now, that did not exist for Trump, is you could potentially have a majority in the Senate that could convict on this. You would and have this to convict yes. no, ind-
3: Michael. You would have to get two-thirds
1: of the Senate. That's, two-thirds, I, under, I that's understand. not happening. But it would then, well, may, you're probably right. It's probably not going to happen. However, because they might have a majority, there are things that the Republicans will attempt to do, which is my fear that is out of the norm, because that's just how they act. Their sole intention is to obtain power. House and Senate. They will make the last two years of Biden's administration into a lame duck administration. We already know because they've said they would do it. They would put a stop to the debt ceiling. They would um, pass all sorts of regulations. This is scary times. Um, (laughs) it is scary times.
3: Uh, and, um, We have the power, Michael, you and I and your listeners, we have the power if we vote, if we each, I'm not telling you who to vote for or what party to vote for, but vote and not only vote, talk to your friends and family about voting, reach out to the people you know, sign up for the ways you can amplify your voice. For example, by calling voters, by texting voters, Um, There's a lot of different ways you can support and contribute. There's a lot of different ways that we can uh, wiggle the needle. We have to be realistic uh, about the trends. This is gonna be a tough cycle, but at the same time, we need to do what we can to mitigate that risk. And then we need to, whatever it may be, we'll make it as good as we can by participating. And then we'll pick ourselves up, we'll dust ourselves off, and we'll make the best of the situation uh, the morning after. That's what we do as Americans.
1: Yeah, until we lose our democracy, until we lose our rights. You know, believe me, I know what it's like when the well, government tries to put pressure on you to take away your constitutional rights, to turn around and then to imprison you. This is not just going to be for michael cohen it's like what i talk about in revenge this isn't only and solely for michael cohen there will be an enemies list a mile long that the gop trump and his acolytes will go after and it puts so many people in danger this is this is our constitution this is our democracy in peril right now like never before so if people don't get out and vote you really don't then have the right to turn around when they take away more rights like under roe um you don't have a right to complain. It's the least you can do is just get out and vote. Um, I think that uh,
3: the uh, example that you offer, the Dobbs case, the abortion case, that's a masterpiece of this creeping ideology. But then, you know, we have uh, – We just had the candidate in uh, Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz say that uh, women's choice should be uh, up to uh, a woman, her doctors and local politicians. Well, why should local politicians be telling women (laughs) what what choice they should make? That Dobbs case is an execrescence and that really to me that represented this philosophy of trumpery creeping into the judiciary so uh, i think it's very important to uh, it is very important to call it out uh and to turn it out turn out the vote that's what we need to do i know that's what i'm planning to do that's what i'm talking to everybody about doing and um You know, this is the first time that we've usually we talk about uh, legal questions and their implications for democracy. This podcast, we're starting with democracy first, Michael, you're sounding the alarm. I think people will respond to that. I hope everybody who's listening will make a plan to vote and make a plan to reach out to others to get them to do the same.
1: Look, so one of the things obviously we're talking about is all the folks that are wondering how the elections will go, because there are so many variables in this upcoming election, in this midterm elections. Now, since 2016, we've all been saying that polls, at least I've been saying that polls are not accurate. You may remember my says who, because it, yeah. and, and I was right about it. But is that really true? I mean, is there still no way to predict the outcome of elections And more importantly, Norm, because you are my great prognosticator, do you have any predictions that you'd like to make? Like, what do you think is going to happen between Fetterman and Oz? What do you think is going to happen between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker? What do you think is going to happen with Carrie Lake? Uh,
3: Fetterman and Oz. um, I still like uh, Fetterman. It was not a perfect debate for the two of them, the first and only debate. Uh, But I really thought Oz stepped in it. Uh, Fetterman is working through um, the, his health issues. He's he's ready uh, to serve. He's still on the mend, but he, he now withstands the rigors of the um, of the campaign trail. Uh, Oz really stepped in it, and I think we're going to this his abortion line about the role of the local politicians. I mean, I really don't want uh, the local politicians in the bedroom (laughs) telling me what to do. And I don't think anybody does. So we'll see how it plays out. I think Fetterman still has the upper hand there. You know, the problem is that um, Oz is such a flawed candidate, uh, but Trump put him there. He was the kingmaker pivoting over to Walker Uh, and uh, Warnock uh, in Georgia. Um, There's uh, just new reports, uh, as we were getting ready to do the podcast about also on an abortion issue, about uh, Walker, uh, more uh, hypocrisy from Walker relating to abortions. We'll see if those reports are borne out. But I just think another Trump-anointed candidate who is not ready for prime time. Uh, it turns out that uh, Reverend Senator Warnock is a good campaigner. He's attuned with the people of Georgia. Um, He's struck a moderate tone that suits him well to that electorate. He's obviously gonna get a very strong African-American vote. He's a person of faith, evangelicals who might go in a different direction normally in Georgia, uh, respect and admire him. So, you know, I think that, uh, uh, if I had to guess and you never know, right, there could be a wave one way or the other, but if I had to guess, I'm feeling, um, I'm feeling good about, uh, the federal races. haven't tracked all the state races as closely, but I know, for example, uh, the Arizona races very, very close in the polls. Uh, and we still have some time before election day, so let's uh, let's see how things develop. I think Arizona's probably a little too close. Uh, trends are not strong enough to prognosticate there. Um, but uh, but I'm liking uh, uh, I'm liking Fetterman and uh, and Warnock, although both of those are tough races. We'll see how my predictions come out.
1: Yeah, look you know at the end of the day the numbers are too close to call and the fact that they are too close to call is the part that is baffling it it's confounding the fact that you have somebody as flawed as Herschel Walker there is a young lady now claiming that he drove her for an abortion i mean talk about being a hypocrite on the single most important issue that has gotten him to where he's at. its its um, And again, they're within the margin of error in terms of favorability for Warnock over Walker. This, to me, just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it really doesn't. And I don't understand. This is the part that I really need your help on. I don't understand how it's possible that the young Gen Z are not out there, really active and speaking up and picketing and marching and doing all the things that they could. This affects them. This, these are certain rights that they were born with, that they had. As we know, Roe is 50 years of stare decisis, and yet now it's different. And if governors start then changing whether or not the state then is permitted to permit abortions and so on. You may have to leave the state. They may then turn around and say you can't be a citizen of the state. You don't even know how far these governors are going to go. So these elections are more than just the Senate. It's our way of life. Uh, the, it, there is no question
3: that these are extremely important elections. I think that are, it's unfortunate, but I think the, um, the, the, the younger generation, indeed, in, uh, American voters in general, uh, are not as motivated in midterms as they are in general elections, right? We got the highest turnout in a century in the 2020 election. People really came out to vote because they understood what was at stake. Um, but Michael, we also don't make it easy for people to vote. Gen Z, we know, has tougher economic time. This next generation, why not have an election day holiday? Um, in some, some people even argue for making voting a mandatory legal duty. So there's more we could do. But just letting people have a day off for election day, there's more that we could do. And I think we have an obligation. The the reason that I went in. Uh, dumped my, uh, dumped my uh, TV and other gigs and worked uh, around the clock um, for a year on the impeachment. I think we have to model um, a, a different kind of model of public service uh, for these young folks. And there are some very inspiring figures from both parties. I mean, I think Liz Cheney has been a tremendous hero. There's been nobody... Mm-hmm. Who's been out, as outspoken as Liz Cheney? But I think we need more like that. And can you blame Gen Z for not being so excited when uh, you know they look at um, they look at how few Liz Cheneys and Adam Kinzinger's there are who are willing to stand up from within the GOP for uh, for democracy? Um, so I, uh, you know, I think that there are a lot of inputs for gen z but hey if you're listening come on out and vote your future depends on it michael is right um we need you in this we need you in this cycle uh and michael you know not every single race turns out the way we want it to in 2022 there's always 2024 that is really going to be the battle royale so we need to Mm. uh we need to get ready uh
1: In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for
1: details. All righty. Well, then, Norm, in your opinion again, the move towards authoritarianism in this country is based on what? Right? It's terrible for the economy. It turns politicians into all-powerful beings, and it's just not good for the people. So then what's the draw to it? And what do you think? Will democracy make a comeback here and around the world? Or is it going to be a gonzo? Um,
3: The attraction of authoritarianism is um, that it provides a set of easy answers uh, to the anxieties of some in our country. So by um, blaming immigrants by constantly uh, sowing racial and ethnic division uh, by um, attacking the rule of law by stoking uh, people's emotions irrespective of the truth by lying uh, to uh, uh, to stimulate uh, the the, the baser emotions of people, even the big lie that Trump won the election, uh, that authoritarian toolkit is going to be attractive to a certain number of people. I blame the leaders. I don't blame the, the voters who've been duped. Uh, it's a con job appealing to the basis instincts, often of Americans, you know, Maybe their factory in the American heartland was shut down. Uh, maybe they have a family member who fell prey uh, to um, to drug addiction, um, to opioid. Uh, the opioid crisis, where these uh, opioids were handed out like Tic Tacs all over the country. But totally what does that
1: have to, Norm, what, Norm, what does that have to you, do with history us, teaches us History
3: teaches us that that makes you susceptible, economic and other factors with a populist leader like Trump. It makes you susceptible to authoritarianism. But Michael, That's about that. hardcore of Trump supporters is still less than a third, sometimes even less than 30 percent in poll after poll. So the good news is you've got 70 percent of America who is rejecting all of that. That's why Trump lost in 2020. And and I think that we are going to see them. That's why I think in some of these races we've talked about, Pennsylvania, Georgia, I think you're going to see the Democrats win where they might not ordinarily do it. Uh, The more Trump is on the ballot, the less people like it. Uh, And then the lessons of history are ours is a very resilient democracy. We've been challenged before. We've gone through very tough times. We had a civil war in this country. We've come through it. I'm not going to predict the exact timetable, but I'll give you another Uh, another one of my analyses, I assess that our country is strong enough to withstand this authoritarian wave led by Donald Trump.
1: Okay, and you know, being the general pessimist that I am, I see real problems here. First of all, I just want to clarify something that you said. Uh, He doesn't have 30% of the population. What he has is 58% of the Republican Party, right? And the Republican Party only makes up, let's say, 35% or 38% of the country. So technically, he's really at around 20% of the country, which is why he knows statistically he can't win in a general election. Right, his folks, at least the ones that are honest with him, have given him enough information. But what bothers me you, you and see, it you're bothers the me more
3: optimist no end, than I am, you're saying it's only one in five Americans.
1: That's correct. But what really angers me, and it I know it's gonna anger all of my listeners too, is the fact that after the raid on Mara Lardo by the FBI to recover stolen documents, including what we now know to be nuclear stolen documents. Okay? His popularity amongst Republicans surged. Could somebody explain to me? I'm not a therapist, I'm not a psychiatrist, I took no psychology courses. What are these fucking people thinking, Norm? I mean, I mean, it's it's almost like it's almost like if I tell you, you could knock that building down with your forehead. Why don't you go try? This is insane. The guy steals top secret documents. He's hiding them at mar a largo right? And he's asked to give them back. He says they're back. He now jeopardizes another lawyer, this Christina Bob, who's in tremendous trouble because she signed an affidavit that he told her, no doubt, to sign. And yet, after the raid... His popularity increases. What? What are they thinking? You know the expression "Mushuga."
3: Um, yes, Mushuga. Crazy. Here's what. Um. Here's what they're thinking. They are. Uh. They are feeling sympathy for someone they once admired. The reason it's gone up is, you know, a number of Republicans have moved away. And Michael, I'll point you to the. Uh, You know, we can point to the polls. Um, There's some polls. We'll reserve the debate, whether it's 20, 30, 40. Uh, A recent New York Times poll had a little over 40 percent of voters viewing Trump favorably. But many of those reject these ideologies we're talking about. And and what's happened is Trump lost some of them because of his continued crazy behavior, the election denial behavior. But some in the Republican Party who were once loyal to him, when they saw that he was raided, they were willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Now, I think that has changed, Michael. You know, these as the details that the guy was holding our most sensitive intelligence about, according to the press, nuclear issues about Iran, about China. People are saying, what? As they learn more about the documents that were obtained pursuant to the search warrant of Mar a Lago. So I think we've seen a little bit of a retraction or a little bit of a shrinkage there. And that's know, except we've
1: been seeing this we've been seeing this going on now for like four, five, six years already. Six years. And somehow or another, right? It's it's crazy. Let me ask you this then, Norm. What do you make of the January sixth committee subpoenaing Trump? I mean, how do you think that it'll ultimately play out? Because I know this and you know this. Trump has a way of turning things in his favor, playing the victim. Right. And, you know, claiming it's all a hoax, a witch hunt and so on. Was it wise of the committee to give him a potential platform?
3: I I think on the whole, it was wise uh, of them to subpoena him. I don't believe. Michael, that he would ever dare avail himself of that platform because of the criminal jeopardy that he faces. Trump has three basic choices with this subpoena. And uh, and the committee, by the way, was right to force him to these choices. I did the same thing when I was part of the decision making process in the impeachment. We had to decide, do we want to now in that case, we asked, should we subpoena Trump? Should we in, or should we simply write him and it, and say you you sh- you have the opportunity to testify, or should we not uh, take the risk, as you say, of giving him a platform at all? We ultimately decided that you couldn't really um, face history and face America if you're investigating Trump and you don't give him an opportunity to present. Now we didn't have time for a subpoena. Uh, was after the ukraine misconduct we went right to we wrote him we invited him to come and testify and he uh he refused and i think that's basically what he's going to do here he could accept the subpoena and testify he could deny the subpoena altogether like steve vannon did you see what that got him a jail sentence and
1: no you got listen you got dan scavino who did the same thing who's got nothing
3: true it could go either direction there's a third uh, but you have peter navarro who uh who is also getting prosecuted so that would be up to doj um if trump took a very contempt, we don't know all the details of what scavino did and why um why doj decided as it did with him we know doj didn't go after mark meadows but meadows cooperate. He turned over a bunch of documents, just wouldn't testify. There's a third option for Trump. He can either he can um, comply, deny, or he can try the case in court. And I think probably that third option is the most likely that sooner or later um, he goes to court. We'll see the first um, the first subpoena compliance deadline on the documents is coming up in early November. With the testimony deadline a week later i suspect trump is going to litigate it because if he defies it he's at risk of going the bannon route prosecution for contempt uh and he can't really cooperate if he cooperates he'll be implicating himself in a very serious federal crimes
1: if he cooperates he'll also lose people from his base which is what he's more concerned about than anything else right now so let me ask you this What else might the January 6th committee do before the end of the year? I mean, they will release their report, but, you know, too late to affect the midterms. What becomes of the committee and their report if we, as Democrats, lose the House? I mean, does Kevin McCarthy just sweep it under the rug and we all pretend like it never happened? Almost like what happened to the Mueller report. Same thing. I think we're I think we're in a
3: somewhat of a different uh, situation this time around. Um and I'll tell you why. Um irrespective of who uh wins or loses the house, um the uh, uh accountability for the January 6th uh, hearings is going to continue. That'll start in Georgia. Uh, with the uh, likely criminal prosecution by the Fulton County DA, Fonnie Willis. She said she wants to bring charges likely or at least conclude the grand jury before the end of the year. I think that means charges and likely charges against Trump. The feds are deep into looking at these issues. They've got a very active grand jury and that's on the democracy attack issues. Um, And and, and, and that that's before you get to other state authorities. I wrote a list of different things that the feds and the states could look at that the January 6th committee, to come to your question, can support in its report and findings that it's going to issue after the election. It should look at the Watergate roadmap where the, there the grand jury laid out each piece of evidence and how it fit into the puzzle. And it should make sure that all of the over a thousand witness interviews, over a million documents, that they go through that. And in their final report, they leave a trail of crumbs, guideposts. They pave the way uh, for these state authorities, federal and state authorities, to follow through. It's not just criminal prosecution. Under the 14th Amendment, Section 3, I wrote about this in my um, New York Times op-ed when the uh, immediately after the ninth and likely final pre-election hearing, um, the, the Constitution says insurrectionists and those who give them aid and comfort are not qualified, constitutionally qualified, to uh, serve in office. Guess what? That's a pretty good description of Donald Trump. So the January 6th committee could provide information that state regulators could use to keep Trump and other election deniers off the ballot. They could do the same for bar authorities, Michael. There's a lot of lawyers who are involved. This was a coup with, instead of tanks and guns and bullets, it was with statutes and cases and lawyers. So the January 6th committee may have a lot of information that they can put out there about facts proving bar complaints. So there's a lot for them to do in that report, and it really could shape the course of um, years to come, uh, depending on, um, on on what they uh, put forward in their final report.
1: Yeah, except the big problem is the guy who ran the whole thing, who orchestrated the whole thing, who directed it and benefited from it, somehow just manages, like even in the Mueller report, manages to escape despite the fact, and this I happen to know to be true. He was provided, he refused to testify, so they gave him questions, right? And um, he signed them under the penalties of perjury, right? They, um, They hit him with interrogatories. And most of those interrogatories are inaccurate. Now, are they out and outright lies? I would deem them to be lies. I think he knew that what he was saying was inaccurate and he was using other people's information in order to craft the answers, but it's a lie. Did anything happen there? No. Meanwhile, I lied to Congress. I lied to Congress. You'll see it in my book, Revenge. I put the document in. It's not only did I draft that statement that was made to Congress, but Jared was involved. Ivanka was involved. Mm -hmm. Jay Sekul on behalf of Donald was involved. So was Ty Cobb and so was Abby Lowell. Everybody was CC'd on it and interjected their points on what they wanted. I'm the only one that gets hit with lying to Congress, the 1001 violation. None of these other people. I mean, this entire thing is just going way too slow and I Im- I implore Merrick Garland to step it up while we still have something to step up
3: Um I don't think anyone will disagree with you on the need for as speedy. long as
1: you're not disagreeing uh, I don't think <laughs> All right, so Norman, I got another question for you we'll here I got another we question gotta go
3: fat, fast <laughs> with these prosecutions
1: right. yes Michael so I know that you're a huge supporter of Ukraine, as am I. Yeah. And with a daily barrage of news that's coming from the region, it's really hard to keep up with the bigger picture. Now, what's really happening, I mean, my question to you, do you have any idea what's really happening there now? Because Russia is doing its best to wipe out their infrastructure, and it's about to be winter. I've been into the Ukraine going back until like the year 2000. I was there, and they're cold winters do the Ukrainians have the support that they need? And further, do you worry that if Republicans take the House and/or the Senate, that they'll cut aid to Ukraine immediately? Well, um, there
3: was a not very good letter this week from non-Republicans from some progressives. Very controversial. They retracted the letter, um, and so the you know we 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 need to have across the board bipartisan for, uh support for ukraine i do worry a little bit that there are some um conservatives who ultra conservatives who don't feel sympathetic to ukraine you know you do have uh you do have uh, the expression of these uh, sympathies of of people who say i don't care about ukraine on that side of the aisle, I would say that um, that um, the situation of the Ukrainians uh, is um, uh, is is certainly challenging. I've just been to Europe to in, uh, attend the Ukraine Reconstruction Conference. Michael in Berlin. Uh, so I met with dozens of Ukrainians while I was there, uh, uh, as well as others from all over the world who came. Three hundred people. I was very honored to be invited. Uh, it wasn't that easy to get an invitation. The um, well, I, I'll, you can come as next time. You can come as uh, uh, as in my delegation. I was only one. There was no plus. It was just me who was invited. But I did go and I met with everybody. I think Ukrainians have the most important form of energy, which is the moral energy, the morale, the spirit, the courage. They are going to make it through. They're winning. And 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 I think the West will You know, it's going to be challenging. I think the West will get them the supplies that they need. I think we need to not only help them to maintain uh, and get them military weapons. I think we actually have to let them start doing some reconstruction. So reconstruction aid has to start flowing. I'm worried um, about those morale issues, about the backing for Ukraine more than i am about the wherewithal of the ukrainians themselves and not only is that an anxiety in the united states um but in europe with these high uh energy costs coming uh you know you always want to keep an eye on the support but all of that being said um you know the at this conference boy the the um, expressions of support were very strong. So for now, Europe is staying the course. And the US has been terrific.
1: Well, and we can say that about this administration. So look, Norman, you have heard me, and every one of my listeners have heard me say the same thing that nothing happens at the Trump organization without the direct knowledge and explicit consent of Donald. Now yep. the Trump organization's tax fraud case started Monday in Manhattan. And certainly, I have some opinions. I have some pretty strong opinions about that. But it's Alvin Bragg's court right now. And they say that Bragg has the upper hand because Weisselberg, the CFO you of the Trump well. organization, you know him well. I sure do. He, he, sure, he already pled guilty on several counts and also made a plea deal, which, of course, only becomes valid if he testifies honestly and truthfully to all the questions asked. But the defense, as I see it, is going to say that Allen went behind the Trump family's back in avoiding paying the taxes on the perks that he received, and was not conspiring with the company. What's your take on that, both as a defense and as an answer? Uh,
3: well, I think the company uh, is very likely going to get tagged in this proceeding, Michael. I think that they're, you know, that it, it's silly. Uh, to attempt to defend by blaming Weisselberg. We know Weisselberg was constantly talking to Trump. As you say, nothing happens at that company. Now, Trump uh, himself is not a defendant in this case, but as you well know, uh, New York Attorney General Tish James has filed a massive civil case against Trump. It's, in effect, the corporate death penalty. So I think the likely negative verdict and, you know, it it's, doesn't always move fast. The jury selection was not as brisk as, as some had hoped in this uh, Trump or uh, tax case where Weisselberg is testifying. But I think it's going to it's very likely to be a negative verdict. And then, you know, if Trump loses that civil case, Michael, that means the relief that the AG uh, has asked for and can probably get. Will be taking away uh, certificates that he needs to do business in New York, putting a monitor in to watch his company, um, not allowing him to take out uh, real estate loans, to serve on the um, boards or management of companies. I mean, it's a very tough set of penalties. So um, the criminal case is going to be bad for the Trump org. And therefore, for Trump's name, and I think he's going to face some serious penalties uh, in, on the civil side as well. I can't understand why Alvin Bragg did not indict this
1: case. Uh, uh, yeah, me, me, me neither. Against me Trump. neither. Neither I can mean, Mark Pomerantz. Neither can Carrie Dunn. But I do have a follow-up question because we all know that a corporation can be held criminally liable in the same way as an individual can be held criminally liable. They prosecute it the same way and they make determinations the same way. But at the end of the day, you can't send a corporation to prison. It's not like you grab a hold of the corporate black book, right? And then you send it off and you put it in a cell like they did to me for 51 days in solitary, right? That's not That's not possible. So what's the ultimate implication? So they... Take away his ability to do business in New York. They're going to take his assets here anyway. And you saw what Trump tried to do, which is to open up Trump organization yeah, two in Delaware. <laughs> and, and again, thank God for Tish James. She is truly, truly the AG that we want. I mean, she realized what he was doing and she, put, she filed an injunction to put a stop to that. But at the end of the day, We're not looking for the Trump organization to be held criminally liable. We're looking for Donald to take responsibility for everything that he did. How does one ultimately affect the other?
3: You know, uh, Tish James, I like the attorney general uh, that we have. And I think uh, Merrick Garland is going to do the right thing. Uh, uh, He's certainly been forceful on the Mar-a-Lago documents case. And I think that represents the gravest federal threat. But I share your admiration of Tish James. Michael, it's interesting. Talk to me about Alvin Bragg, though. Talk to me about Alvin Bragg, though. I'm coming to Alvin Bragg. I I, I have nothing good to say about Alvin Bragg. I mean, how could he not charge Trump? Compare him to Tish James, to Liz Cheney, who's led us on the 1-6 committee. To Fannie Willis, that may be the best comparison. She's also a DA, uh, municipal DA. She's in um, Fulton County, Georgia. She's been um, investigating the alleged democracy crimes of Trump and his cronies. Uh, she, you know, she moved fast. She started right afterwards. She looks like she's getting her case together. I think she's going to charge Trump. Alvin Bragg, compares unfavorably to them all uh so far i can't understand why he didn't charge the case but michael he still has a chance to redeem himself and you know tish james really called him out in explaining why she thinks there are crimes here so let's i'm disappointed uh i've been public about being disappointed uh, but uh, maybe you'll call me an incorrigible optimist until he says the case against Trump is done. I'm hoping he'll still redeem himself. I admit to you, you know, we haven't seen that so far. It's profoundly disappointing, but I got to admire those three women have led the way.
1: Yep, I totally agree with you. So let me ask you this then. The Supreme Court has completely lost its legitimacy, but Justice Thomas's latest ploy to protect Lindsey Graham from an order to testify before a Georgia grand jury, in my in my opinion, it's outrageous. Clarence Thomas is clearly out of control. What does this ruling do to the court's standing? And do you think that the public cares anymore? Well, I should
3: disclose on the Lindsey Graham matter that I'm uh, I filed an amicus brief. Um, uh, in in, uh, in the lower court, uh, in the court of appeals. Um, so I should confine myself in commenting on the case. This is one uh, where I have clients to, to what is in the amicus brief. I will say that there is no basis whatsoever uh, for uh, Lindsey Graham refusing to show up and answer questions. He's trying to use the speech and debate clause of the constitution, Which immunizes him for legislative activity as a shield against answering any question. And the Supreme Court itself has held over and over again that you can't do that. I will say that uh, folks will remember that in the Mar a Lago case, where I also filed an amicus brief, the classified documents, there was some anxiety when Donald Trump appealed to the Supreme Court, and it went no place. The court rejected his effort to. Um, reverse the 11th Circuit, uh, which said DOJ is allowed to use the documents, the classified documents that they recovered uh, at Mar-a-Lago with their search warrant. And they can do that even though Judge Cannon had initially enjoined them. The 11th Circuit said that's wrong. They turned the criminal investigation back on, essentially, the greatest federal danger to Donald Trump. I think we'll, uh, we'll make the legal arguments. We'll see what the court does.
1: Yeah, the biggest problem, of course, is that you can't, you can't get rid of them. That's the problem. I've always hated the concept of someone having a job for life regardless, which brings me, Norm, to my final question to you. Because as I say on all the shows when it's time, the hour goes by very quickly. You and I could kibitz for hours
0: Play for free at Luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary, boyd were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: I've read some things about Justice Samuel Alito that lead me to believe that his religion is his guiding light. Which is okay, I'm I'm fine with that. But it's supposed to be the Constitution. And clearly, he has no regard for settled law as we've seen in the overturning of Roe. But now with seven out of nine justices currently on the court being Catholic, first, should it concern us that there is no religious diversity on the court? And second, what's happened to the separation of church and state?
3: You know, um, it's pretty clear. And I wrote about this, Michael. uh, When you look at that Dobbs opinion, it's pretty clear that that's motivated by Justice Alito's um, religious beliefs. And that's terrible. No, no one who is on the bench should be uh, letting their personal religious faith um, influence um, the choices that, uh, that they make about the law. The law should be neutral. That should be a place where every American can practice. By the way, his uh, preferencing his own beliefs has effects on uh, the religious practices of others. For example, in Jewish religious practice, uh, uh, abortion uh, is uh, legal. And um, if you have a state that criminalizes abortion, they're interfering. Alito has made it possible for them to interfere with the religious practice uh, of another group of Americans. So You can see that in the opinion. I do think that the, uh, you know, we've talked about a lot of different threats today. I would describe the thread that unifies the conversation about the political threat of election deniers and the disillusionment of some voters, uh, about the uh, legal threat uh, represented by Donald Trump, but also the legal threats to Donald Trump. Uh, and now this question of the um, uh, the threat to uh, one of our most sacred constitutional principles, the separation of church and state. So we're doing a threat assessment. And in response, I, I will say, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This is a, a runaway um, majority and an illegitimate one on the Supreme Court because they wouldn't let Obama have a vote on his pick in his last year, because it was his last year. That's uh, Garland, who's now the AG. Then they turned around and Trump got, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, Trump in the last months of his presidency was able to appoint who he wanted. So the hypocrisy is just naked. Um, but despite that, um, uh, you know we have to be realistic. that's what we're dealing with. I don't I think the time will come when a Democratic Senate has a chance to do something about this. when these nine justices were established in the 19th century, there were nine judicial circuits. There are 13 judicial circuits now. I think the solution is, I think the solution is that we need to have more justices on the Supreme Court and, we can't have, if the Supreme Court is gonna be legislating, then we need to liberalize uh, the limitations like the filibuster on the functioning of the Senate. So at least the Senate can address some of the issues that the Supreme Court is raising. By example, passing a, a nationwide, um, a nationwide uh, protection as a statutory matter of the right to choice. So I think we're gonna to have to make some reforms. And in response to all these threats you identify, uh, you know, I, uh, I'll i leave you and the listeners with one last thought. When I worked in the White House, Rahm Emanuel, the chief of staff, used to say, never let a good crisis go to waste. And I think we need to be honest about this very challenging moment we're in. We need to vote with hope, with optimism. We need to vote as, our, as if our votes and that of our friends and family we talked to, will make all the difference because they can. Then we'll see where we are. I'll come back on with you. We'll assess the situation. We'll assess the situation, Michael. And then we'll make a plan because that's what we do, even through the tough times. Uh, that's really the uh, one of the essential meanings of America. We keep going. And that's just what we're going to do on November 9th. The threats are real. Uh, but the uh, power of the American idea. And I think American voters is real as well. And um, and, and I hope that uh, that they and all your listeners turn out. Whoever you vote for, get out there and vote.
1: Right. And I say vote blue. Norm, you're the greatest. Thank you so much, my friend. Always good to see you. And always good to have you back here on Maya Culpa. Thanks,
3: Michael. Great being with you. Wow. We covered a lot of turf
1: today, man. That we did. And I will definitely... And I will be seeing you very, very soon. And now for today's Maya culpa. The body of an Indonesian woman was found fully intact inside a 22-foot python this week. Sadly, she didn't survive, but it made me think just how different my life is from, say, a woman swallowed whole by a python in Indonesia. I live in a big city. My life is complicated by politics and injustice. I worry about random nuts with firearms and all the things we discuss on this show. But I never worry about pythons. And for that, I suppose I should be grateful. Think about this beautiful country and all we as citizens have to be grateful for. And then think about what's happening now as we head to the polls and it'll want to make you cry. The greatest nation on earth is being eaten alive by a lie that might as well be a python because it's fucking killing us. We cannot change the GOP base and their dangerous ideology, but we can outvote them. We outnumber them. And if every Democrat votes, election deniers will be left in the dust. Now, isn't that a nice thought? The end of the big lie. Just imagine that, a return to sanity. I mean, I can almost taste it. But every single one of us must vote. There are some races that have taken up most of the political oxygen, in battleground states primarily. But that doesn't mean that the other races are any less important. They're just not reported on as much. For instance, the House of Representatives may hinge on who wins in California. <laughs> That's right, if you Democrats in the Golden State are thinking no worries, we're safe over here, Well, will guess again. Control of the House will likely boil down to a few small races in California's Central Valley. In California's 27th district, which covers parts of Los Angeles and San Bernardino, Democrat Christy Smith will face off against Republican election denier Mike Garcia for the third time. He won both the special election and the 2020 general election, but things have shifted and it's become a tight race. So no resting on your liberal laurels, La La Land. I mean, we can win it if you all show up. Colorado's 8th District is also up for grabs. Democrat Yadira Curveo, a physician and state representative, is running against Republican Barb Kirkmeyer, a state senator who actually accepts the outcome of the 2020 election and defeated an election denier in the GOP primary they are facing off for the brand-new seat located in the suburbs and exurbs north of Denver. In Texas districts 15, 28, and 34 are all running tight races that can easily swing the house. But shout-out to Beto O'Rourke, whose campaign for governor against Voldemort, I mean Greg Abbott, seems to waking up Texas and scaring the shit out of Republicans. So keep going, buddy. The country is behind you. Now in Florida, Charlie Crist resigned from the Pinellas County-based House seat to run for governor, creating a prime pickup opportunity for the GOP. Republican Ana Paulina Luna has a solid chance of defeating Democrat Eric Lynn due to the seat becoming more friendly territory for Republicans in redistricting. Luna, a Trump-endorsed Air Force veteran, is also an election denier, popular amongst Latina voters. So it's a nail-biter in Florida for sure. But my point is that there are no small races. I've said it before, all 435 seats in the House of Representatives are up for grabs and Republicans only need to flip control five to take the majority. So I don't mean to sound like a fucking broken record, but we're down to the wire, folks. What are you doing to help get out the vote? Have you sent in your mailer? Don't wait till the last minute and mind those races that don't look like much, but that in the end will make a difference. All of us voting together will make the difference in numbers too big to ignore. We will defeat the Python and live to tell the tale. And as always, thanks for listening. Mayor Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Minus Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Mayor Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea Copa, nothing but the truth This is my Mayacopa yeah. Oh baby don't lie for me If I tell you my
0: story don't cry for me I did my time that's found